Book Six, Chapter Twenty Two of Henrietta Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jill Engel. Henrietta Temple by Benjamin Disraeli. Book Six, Chapter Twenty Two. Ferdinand meditates over his good fortune. In moments of deep feeling, alike sudden bursts of prosperity, as in darker hours, man must be alone. It requires some self-communion to prepare ourselves for good fortune, as well as to encounter difficulty, and danger, and disgrace. This violent and triumphant revolution in his prospects and his fortunes was hardly yet completely comprehended by our friend Ferdinand Armine and when he had left a note for the generous Mirabel, whose slumbers he would not disturb at this early hour, even with good news, he strolled along up Charles Street and to the park, in one of those wild and joyous reveries in which we brood over coming bliss, and create a thousand glorious consequences. It was one of those soft summer mornings which are so delightful in a great city. The sky was clear, the air was bland, the water sparkled in the sun, and the trees seemed doubly green and fresh to one who so recently had gazed only on iron bars. Ferdinand felt his freedom as well as his happiness. He seated himself on a bench and thought of Henrietta Temple. He took out her note and read it over and over again. It was indeed her handwriting. Restless with impending joy, he sauntered to the bridge and leant over the balustrade gazing on the waters in charmed and charming vacancy. How many incidents, how many characters, how many feelings flitted over his memory! Of what sweet and bitter experience did he not chew the cud! Four and twenty hours ago, and he deemed himself the most miserable and forlorn of human beings, and now all the blessings of the world seemed showered at his feet. A beautiful bride awaited him, whom he had loved with intense passion, and who he had thought but an hour ago was another's. A noble fortune, which would permit him to redeem his inheritance, and rank him among the richest commoners of the realm, was to be controlled by one a few hours back a prisoner for desperate debts. The most gifted individuals in the land emulated each other in proving which entertained for him the most sincere affection. What man in the world had friends like Ferdinand Armine? Ferdinand Armine, who, two days back, deemed himself alone in the world. The unswerving devotion of Glastonbury, the delicate affection of his sweet cousin, all the magnanimity of the high-souled Montfort, and the generosity of the accomplished Mirabel, passed before him, and wonderfully affected him. He could not flatter himself that he indeed merited such singular blessings, and yet with all his faults, which with him were but the consequences of his fiery youth, Ferdinand had been faithful to Henrietta. His constancy to her was now rewarded. As for his friends, the future must prove his gratitude to them. Ferdinand Armine had great tenderness of disposition, and somewhat of a meditative mind. Schooled by adversity, there was little doubt that his coming career would justify his favorable destiny. It was barely a year since he had returned from Malta, but what an eventful twelve-month! Everything that had occurred previously seemed of another life. All his experience was concentrated in that wonderful drama that had commenced at Bath, 
the last scene of which was now approaching. The characters, his parents, Glastonbury, Catherine, Henrietta, Lord Montfort, Count Mirabel, himself, and Mr. Temple. Ah, that was a name that a little disturbed him, and yet he felt confidence now in Mirabel's prescience. He could not but believe that with time even Mr. Temple might be reconciled. It was at this moment that the sound of military music fell upon his ear. It recalled old days, parades and guards at Malta, times when he did not know Henrietta Temple, times when, as it seemed to him now, he had never paused to think or moralize. That was a mad life. What a Neapolitan ball was his career then! It was indeed dancing on a volcano, and now all had ended so happily. Oh, could it indeed be true? Was it not all a dream of his own creation, while his eye had been fixed in abstraction on that bright and flowing river? But then there was Henrietta's letter. He might be enchanted, but that was the talisman. In the present unsettled, though hopeful, state of affairs, Ferdinand would not go home. He was resolved to avoid any explanations until he heard from Lord Montfort. He shrank from seeing Glastonbury or his cousin. As for Henrietta, it seemed to him that he never could have heart to meet her again, unless they were alone. Count Mirabel was the only person to whom he could abandon his soul, and Count Mirabel was still in his first sleep. So Ferdinand entered Kensington Gardens, and walked in those rich glades and stately avenues. It seems to the writer of this history that the inhabitants of London are scarcely sufficiently sensible of the beauties of its environs. On every side the most charming retreats open to them, nor is there a metropolis in the world surrounded by so many rural villages, picturesque parks, and elegant casinos. With the exception of Constantinople, there is no city in the world that can for a moment enter into competition with it. For himself, though in his time something of a rambler, he is not ashamed in this respect to confess a legitimate cockney taste, and for his part he does not know where life can flow on more pleasantly than in sight of Kensington Gardens, viewing the silver Thames winding by the bowers of Rosebank, or inhaling from its terraces the refined air of graceful Richmond. In exactly ten minutes it is in the power of every man to free himself from all the tumult of the world, the pangs of love, the throbs of ambition, the wear and tear of play, the recriminating boudoir, the conspiring club, the rattling hell, and find himself in a sublime sylvan solitude, superior to the cedars of Lebanon, and inferior only in extent to the chestnut forests of Anatolia. Kensington Gardens is almost the only place that has realized his idea of the forest of Spencer and Oriosto. What a pity that instead of a princess in distress we meet only a nursery-maid. But here is the fitting and convenient locality to brood over our thoughts, to project the great, and to achieve the happy. It is here that we should get our speeches by heart, invent our impromptus, muse over the caprices of our mistresses, destroy a cabinet, and save a nation. About the time that Ferdinand directed his steps from these green retreats towards Berkeley Square, a servant summoned Miss Temple to her father. "'Is Papa alone?' inquired Miss Temple. "'Only my lord with him,' was the reply. "'Is Lord Montfort here?' said Miss Temple, a little surprised. 
My lord has been with the master these three hours, said the servant. End of Book Six, Chapter Twenty Two. Recording by Jill Ingle.